Good morning, everyone, and welcome. I'd like to also extend a warm welcome to those joining on YouTube. We're glad that you can be here with us. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, you are our life, our love, and our God. Such a joy, privilege, and pleasure to be able to stand in your presence to adore you, to be in awe of you. You're so awesome. And Father, we just thank you that we could be overwhelmed with who you are, overwhelmed with your glory. And to stand here and to receive that is such a gift. We thank you for that. And Father, as we look into your word, we pray that this spirit of worship would continue that we would be in awe of what you've done for us, that we would just be amazed at who you are and who you are for us. Pray that this time is edifying. Pray that this time would build us up and encourage us in the faith. Father, we pray your spirit would work in us that truly this would be a communion with you. So bless this time, Lord. We, we depend on you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a very special time of year for students who are graduating high school. I've had the privilege of going to a high school graduation, and the resounding theme from all the speakers, from the superintendents to the class president, the resounding theme in all the speeches was change. You get the sense that this particular group of students had faced major change and is entering into a world that's just rapidly changing. So they were encouraged to be open to change and to even get comfortable with being uncomfortable with the change that we face. Now hearing these speeches brought me back to a time when I graduated high school. And I began reflecting on the immediate changes that took place in my life when I graduated. The most dramatic change took place during my senior year in college. It was that year that I was washed in the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. Now many of you know my testimony, but the change was drastic. In high school, <clears throat> I didn't use drugs or I didn't even drink, but I did a lot of crazy things. Now to give you an idea of what that was like, Imagine the class burnouts would often come up to me and say, Steve, you know, you really should use drugs. And I would say, why? Well, at least then you'd have an excuse. Well, after the Lord got a hold of me, things were different and major changes were made. I remember being on the phone with, with a friend to share about my new life, how I sponsored a child through World Vision, and how, like, for the first time in my life, I had this desire to go to church. I want to go to church. I had a hunger for the Bible that I never had before. And I was describing this to a friend. You know, these desires were new, and these desires were strong. And I remember my friend saying, Steve, you're not the same person anymore. And I said, yeah, isn't it great? You know, I think everyone who knew me was just blown away by the change. But for the first time in my life, I felt alive. 
I was made clean, and I was made brand new by the blood of Jesus. Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Today, as we take communion, I want to look at the truth of this verse and gain an appreciation of the power that's in the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. We're going to see that it's through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross that we can become new and walk in newness in daily life. So we begin with the question, why is blood so important to God? What's the significance? Well, blood carries life-sustaining elements to every living cell in our body. It brings nutrients, oxygen, water, everything that our, need, our cells need to survive and thrive. Blood brings it there. Blood cleanses our wounds, fights off diseases, works to bring healing where we're wounded. Now, because of this, blood represents the essence of life. To shed blood means to shed life because blood contains life. And because of that, that's why it's sacred to God. In fact, because we're all born sinners, there is no way to have any kind of communion with God except through the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So when we sin, we are rebelling against our creator. R.C. Sproul calls sin cosmic treason. Because when we sin, we are literally working to overthrow our creator's rule and authority in our lives. You know, if I was involved in some way in giving military secrets to, say, China or Russia, I would be committing treason. I would be working for the enemy. And the only way to pay for that would be to be put to death. That would be justice. It's justice to be put to death for committing treason against our creator. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So any and all sin is treason against our creator. So the only way to pay for it, the only way to satisfy God's justice, is the shedding of blood, the shedding of life. <clears throat> In the Old Testament days, God ordered animal blood to be a temporary covering over sin. Now, all those sacrifices never really erased sin. They were just a temporary covering and a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus would perform on the cross. So to enter into worship, the people would have to bring a spotless, perfect animal, and then they would lay hands on that animal as if to transfer their sin onto that animal, then they would give the animal to a priest, and the priest would shed 
its blood. Now to take this a step further, the priests themselves had a very interesting system of dedication. So in order to become a priest, they would have to bring a ram for the sacrifice, and then the blood would be shed. They would take that blood and place it on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe of the priest. Now the right side was chosen because it's the predominant side. So putting blood on the right ear represents a cleansing and a newness over the priest's mind and thought life. Romans 10:17 says, "So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God." So the right ear was covered and set apart for the priest's growth in knowledge and faith. The right thumb is the first finger of the predominant hand. So putting blood on this finger represented a cleansing and a newness in their actions, their deeds. The right big toe is the first toe of the predominant foot. So putting blood there represented a cleansing and a newness over their walk with the Lord. So having said all this, let's look at the blood of Jesus and how it makes us new creatures in Christ. Now scripture records Jesus shedding blood seven times. Now the number seven is significant because it means completion, wholeness. Each time that Jesus sheds blood has significance into what his blood would ultimately accomplish for us on the cross. The first time that scripture speaks of Jesus' blood is in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, where it says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So the first time that Jesus sheds blood was in his circumcision. Now here the Old Testament law was being fulfilled. Circumcision was a sign of a covenant between the descendants of Abraham and God. God promised to take the descendants of Abraham and make them into a great nation and give them a land and God would be their God. Circumcision was a sign that they belonged to and they agreed with that covenant. <clears throat> now, according to John MacArthur, the significance here is that to enter into any agreement with God, there needed to be a cutting away of sin and a cleansing. The male organ clearly demonstrated the depth of sin and depravity because it carried the seed that produces depraved sinners. Now, circumcision was so important to the Lord that he sought to kill Moses for not circumcising his son. That's astonishing to me. Exodus 4, 24 through 25 says, And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. 
Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. Now that's astonishing that the Lord was going to kill Moses. Now Moses was spared because his wife circumcised their son. Through circumcision, Moses moved from being under God's anger and wrath to being God's friend. Exodus 33.11 says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross does the same for us. Through Jesus' circumcision, we see ultimately that his shed blood on the cross has the power to take us, who were once enemies of God, under God's wrath, to making us his friend. Romans 5.9 says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were once enemies of God under his wrath, but by his blood we are made new and we're called friends. The second record of Jesus shedding blood is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 2 verses 39 through 44 says, Coming out, he went into the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Here we see Jesus so earnestly praying that he literally sweat blood. And he did it at a time when he entered into the very presence of his father, in his greatest time of need. The blood of Jesus gives us the power to do the same. You know, this is an incredible gift if we think about it. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was in one room of the temple called the Holy of Holies. There was a a thick veil that separated God from man We were outcasts. We were not allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. No one was allowed except one man, and that was the high priest. And he was only allowed to go in there one day out of the year to offer a sacrifice. We were outcasts. No one could enter into the Holy of Holies without being killed. So by the blood of Jesus we now have access to the Holy of Holies, and we're invited in. The moment that Jesus died on the cross, 
this veil that separated God from man was torn right down the middle. And the Bible specifies it was from top to bottom. It was God's way of saying that by the blood of Jesus, you may now enter in. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. The blood of Jesus gives us access into the very presence and glory of God, just like it did for Jesus while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, if we need wisdom, by the blood of Jesus, we can go into the presence of God and receive wisdom. If we need strength, by the blood of Jesus, we can go into the Holy of Holies and receive strength. If we need comfort and love, by the blood of Jesus, we can enter in and receive all these things. Every need that we would ever have to accomplish our Father's will would be met through the blood of Jesus and prayer, simply going in and asking for it. So the blood of Jesus transforms us from being outcasts to being in the very presence of God. In fact, to even take that a step further, the Bible says that we are temples of God so that God lives inside of us. He doesn't live in that room anymore. He lives inside of us. The third record of Jesus shedding blood is, is the stripes on his back. Mark 15, 15 says, So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. You know, this was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In Isaiah 53.5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. You know, the language in this verse is a language of substitution. Jesus suffered not for his own sin. He was perfect. He was sinless. He suffered as a substitute for us. Jesus was the recipient of the Father's wrath in being scourged. Now going back to Mark 15, 15, Pilate had a choice of letting Jesus go and crucifying Barabbas or letting Barabbas go and crucifying Jesus. It was one or the other. Now, God's sovereignty is amazing here. Barabbas was a well-known criminal. He was an insane murderer and thief. But his name means something special. You see, the word bar in Hebrew means son of. So Joshua, for example, his name would be Joshua bar Stephen. That would be his official name. So his name is Joshua, son of Stephen. The word Abba means father. So Barabbas means sons of the father. So we were all represented in Barabbas. We were all wicked sinners who should have been crucified. But instead, Jesus stepped in to take our place. 
He took our mockeries, our beatings, and the crucifixion so that the sons of the Father could be set free. The picture here is that the blood of Jesus transformed us from being sons and daughters of disobedience to being sons and daughters of God. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are children of God. And that means that everything that belongs to Jesus also belongs to us. We have the same rights and privileges that Jesus has as children of God. So far, we've seen three ways that Jesus' blood made us new creatures. We moved from being enemies of God to being friends of God, from being outcasts of God to being welcomed and invited into the very presence of God, and being sons of disobedience to being children of God. Now, before we enter into communion, we want to look at the Lord's instruction in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and are sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So it's important that we take time to examine ourselves, to make sure that we're not participating in an unworthy manner. Now, to eat in an unworthy manner might mean that you're doing this just because everybody else is doing it, or you're indifferent to what Jesus did for you on the cross. Maybe it has no value to you, no meaning or significance to you. Or it could also mean having an unrepentant heart. It means that you're cherishing a particular sin more than Christ and you're refusing to make war against it. You're refusing to let go of it. Or it could also mean having a spirit of bitterness or any other ungodly attitude. If this describes you, it's wise to just pass on the elements. But let's take a moment now to reflect on how the blood of Jesus made us new. We've become friends We've been invited in, and we've been made children of God. Take some time now to meditate on that and how his broken body and shed blood has changed you.
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Take and eat. This represents the body of Christ, which is broken for you. You know, we've been given so much through the blood of Jesus. And yet, Scripture reveals so much more. The fourth record of Jesus shedding blood is in the crown of thorns. John 19, 1 through 22 says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. You know, this crown was made up of spikes that were up to 12 inches long, and they were pressed into his head. Now, just as the priests in the Old Testament, they put blood on their right ear to make their minds and their thoughts new, so the blood that poured out of Jesus' head would make our minds, our thoughts new for his glory. You know, the blood of Jesus has the power to give us the opportunity to take any sinful thinking and thoughts and wash them away and be made new by the word of God. The fifth record of Jesus shedding blood is when they nailed his hands to the cross. Just like the priest would have blood put on their right thumb, So the shedding of Jesus' blood from his hands would now cleanse and make new our actions, our deeds. You know, our, our righteous actions now move from being filthy rags, as they were described in Isaiah, to being fine white linen, as it's described in the book of Revelation. What we do for Christ now counts for all eternity. Our deeds are made new. The sixth record of Jesus shedding blood is when they nailed his feet to the cross. Just as the priest had their big toe anointed with blood, so the blood on Jesus' feet would cleanse and make new our walk with the Lord. You get a picture here that in Christ, God made us priests for himself. In fact, 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So by the blood of Jesus, we're changed, we're made new. We move from being ministers of wickedness to ministers of righteousness. The seventh record of Christ shedding blood is when they pierced his side. John 19.34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Now Jesus was already dead when this took place. But what's precious about this is the parallel 
with Adam. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 22 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. In the same way, after Jesus died, the Lord opened up his side and out came his blood, which was his purchase price for his bride, the church. We are now the bride of Christ. Pastor Tom has often said, we are the father's gift to the son. We are his most cherished possession. We are a people that he delights in and rejoices over. Through the blood of Jesus, we are changed from being totally separated from God to now being one with God as the bride of Christ. God lives and breathes through us. As we take the cup, let's take a moment to reflect on our new identity because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. We're now made a royal priesthood. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. We are a gift to Jesus himself. Let's take a moment to reflect on that. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. Take and drink. This represents the blood of Jesus, which was shed for you. Praise God, we are made new. We moved from being enemies of God to friends of God, to being outcasts, to being welcomed in, to being sons and daughters of disobedience, to being sons and daughters of God, to being, from being ministers of wickedness to ministers of righteousness, from being lost, abandoned, totally separated from God, to being one with God. You know, knowing who we are in Christ should challenge us to become more and more like who God says we are. We can walk in this newness on a daily basis. None of us feel like these things. None of us feel like the bride of Christ. None of us feel sometimes like friends of God. But it's not based on our feelings. It's based on truth, on what Scripture says, and on what God says we are. We have to hold on and believe in what God says we are now in Christ because of his shed blood. And we can walk in the newness of that, being transformed on a daily basis. Let's look at that. First, we've become friends with God. The challenge here 
is that we become like the people that we're friends with. We think like them, we act like them, we talk like them. In fact, I remember I had two friends in high school that when something happened in class or something would said, was said, we would look at each other and we would know what each other was thinking. We were close. We knew it. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So the Bible commands us to imitate God in how we think, what we say, and how we act. You know, growing in our friendship with God by spending time with him, by hanging out with him, should transform us to be more and more like him each day. The Lord also welcomes us to come into his holy presence, to boldly receive grace in our time of need. You know, this should challenge us to grow in our dependence upon God. And we'll realize more and more that he is an endless supply of every, anything that we would ever need. You know, I remember years ago when I was working at the camp, I saw a teacher that was just amazing with the kids. He was just outstanding. And I had to ask. I had to go up to him and just ask. I said, are you a Christian? And he looked at me. He goes, how did you know? And I said, Jesus just radiates from you. And he says, you know why? It's probably because I depend on him so much. He is an endless fountain of grace. And God wants us to come, to come drink from that fountain, to boldly receive whatever we need. And in this way, he is glorified. He is glorified. And we become more like Jesus because we're leaning on his resources and not ours. The Bible also calls us children of God now. We're co-heirs with Christ. This means that this world is not our home. We don't belong here. This should challenge us to live like we're just passing through. In fact, Peter in his epistles addresses his readers as pilgrims, sojourners. But knowing what our future holds as heirs of God should also cause us to be a people of hope, a people of joy. We know what we're headed for. You know, we have a glorious eternity to look forward to. With God, no matter how good or bad life gets here, with God, the best is always yet to come. So we live with hope and joy, knowing that we're headed for an awesome future. Now think about how, how happy you students are you know, at the end of May, beginning of June, that summer vacation is just around the corner, right? Or, you know, if you're just weeks away from, from a vacation that you're looking forward to, you know, a nice vacation or a break from work or, or anything like that, knowing that you have blessing up ahead gives you energy, gives you strength and joy to get through whatever it is you're going through. In the same way, we are a people who are living for eternity. So we should be a people of joy and gladness, knowing that blessing is just up ahead. We are also a priesthood. This should challenge us to grow more and more in offering worship, intercession, and sacrifices to God. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, 
Therefore, I exhort, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We can worship God anywhere, anytime. And we're also commanded to pray for all men. I always mention this to the, to the youth group. You ever hear that saying, if you see something, say something? Why well, tell them, if you see something, pray something. You know, you are a priest that can offer prayer and intercession against the evil and the tragedy that's in your view. You can give thanks for all the moments that you have in a day because every moment is a gift. You can thank God for, for each moment. If you're serving someone, you can pray for the people that you're serving. I tell the youth group, if you're washing dishes for mom and dad, pray for mom and dad. You're helping a big brother or a younger brother or sister in a school project, pray for your younger brother or sister. If you're helping somebody, pray for them. Make intercession for them. Pray for the people you work for. Pray for our country. We are priests of God, representing God, his truth, and his kingdom, and his interests on this earth. That's why we're here. And we can walk in the newness of that. We can grow in that on a daily basis, being priests of God. The Bible also calls us the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, verses 7 through 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. See, what you wear on this wedding day is going to reflect the trust, the obedience, and the righteous acts that you've committed while you were here. Now, just as any bride goes through the effort to wear the best dress that she could possibly find, so should we live in such a way that we are adorned by what Christ does through us. This should challenge us more and more to radical obedience. Obedience that builds our trust. Obedience that builds our faith and leads us to see God in newer and deeper ways. As new creatures in Christ, we're called to imitate God, depend on him, live in joy and hope, pray and intercede for all people, and live a life full of obedience and trust. And each day we can walk in this newness by the power of God living inside of us. You know, changes are coming. The world is going through a tough time of turbulence that our generation has never experienced. But as I reflect on all the changes that I've been through since high school, I'm most amazed and thankful for what God has done inside of me. Through the broken body and shed blood, I have been made new. And as I live and learn more and more about what that really means on a daily basis, I'm inspired and challenged to embrace change that affects all eternity. And that is a change and a newness in God's people 
that the world needs to see. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe over all that that you did for us. The crown of thorns, the stripes on your back. And even as we talk about the seven times that you shed blood, even more devastating was the spiritual separation that you took on the cross to be spiritually separated from the Father. You became our sin as you shed your blood to make us new. Father, we thank you for the newness. We thank you for the new beginning. Lord, we rejoice. We always rejoice in new beginnings, but we thank you for this one. This one is true. This is one that you declare. This is one that you say happens to everyone who comes to know you as Lord and Savior. And we thank you, Father, that we can grow in this on a daily basis. Father, help us to turn from the old and embrace the new more and more on a daily basis. We pray for that grace, pray for that strength, and pray for that perspective. Father, help us to hide your word in our heart that we may not depart from it. In Jesus' name, amen.